Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two terrific kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. I get it. It's not always easy, but we are in this together. And thankfully, we have so many amazing guests who can help us understand how we can proceed and succeed. Now, every parent wants his or her child to be happy and successful. As parents, we learn from so many books and experts and our own parents that there's maybe some kind of formula in this, that if we have our kids get enough sleep, we feed them right, we send them to school, give them love, boundaries, make sure they do their homework, we put them in the right sports and get them involved with enrichment activities, that the brain and the body will develop and the child will be successful. The end. Of course, in practice, this isn't often so clear cut. No child is the same as another. No brain is the same as another. And sometimes when children don't seem to be following the preconceived pattern that we expected, maybe we learned about, maybe we hoped for, we might wonder how our child, who is different from the norm, could be happy and successful. It turns out, as some of us have already discovered, that there is a power to being different. And as parents, we can help cultivate, inspire, and build upon that difference. And that's where the magic can happen. What magic, you might wonder? Well, that is the power of different, and that is why we are so privileged to make acquaintances with our awesome guest, for today. Now, Dr. Gail Saltz is the best-selling author, magazine columnist, media commentator, and host of the Power of Different podcast. You've probably heard of her. She is an associate professor of psychiatry at New York Presbyterian Hospital Wild Cornell School of Medicine and a psychoanalyst with the New York Psychoanalytic Institute with a private practice in Manhattan. Her new book, which is awesome. The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius is available now. I've had the pleasure of being paired up with Dr. Gail Saltz on the Today Show for certain parenting segments. She's warm, insightful, and delightful. So let's put any distractions away, if at all possible, so we can learn about The Power of Different from the author herself, Dr. Gail Saltz. Thank you so much for joining us on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> we are thrilled to have you. Before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't heard you speak or haven't read the book yet, maybe if you could just take a moment and tell us why you get up in the morning, why you're so interested in exploring and understanding and educating people about the power of different well, my interest actually in this particular subject came out of several avenues. One is that I have been having a running series at the at New York City's 92nd Street Y where called Psychobiography, um, where I've looked at iconic genius people in history, in the arts and the sciences, um, in leadership, past presidents, um, in music, and um, it 
I realized at a certain point that every time I tried to choose a subject um, that made a real difference in our world, in our history, and how we view things, um, inevitably they had a mental health issue or a learning disability. And I was really struck by that. Um, also, after years and years of practice, of 24 years at this point, um, I had many high-functioning patients um, who were wildly successful, actually, um, but who were struggling with something, hence they came to see me. Um, and I was really struck by the commingling of, you know, something that was really a difficulty for them and at the same time, some really astonishing strengths. Um, and I've always been interested in the topic of, of genius, actually, in general, and sort of where does that come from? What is that about? Um, why, why are some people able to make use of their minds in this kind of way? I mean, that probably has harkened back to uh, my uh, youngest brother is... Um, is an astrophysicist who won the Nobel Prize in 2011. Wow. So I grew up with uh, genius, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, and so it's always just been a real a fascination of mine. Mm -hmm. So I guess then there is a link between disorder and genius, which is the subtitle of your book. Clearly, um, if you, it, I mean, there really is. If you look at the data, and I try to provide um, some really current studies that look at various aspects of brain wiring and its correlation to and sometimes it's clear cause and effect to very particular wiring that leads to strength so we could be talking about you know people who struggle i tried i tried to talk to the most common symptoms that kids and adults struggle with so we could be talking about anxiety or mood issues, we could be talking about difficulty relating to others, often, you know, obviously I'm talking about the autism spectrum somewhat, um, but a very common issue is uh, distractibility or mm -hmm. difficulty paying attention. Again, often in kids, probably the most common issue that presents in school-age children, attention deficit disorder, and dyslexia and other learning disabilities. So in your book, you refer to brain differences, and you were just talking about all these different symptoms and diagnoses. What, what does it really mean to have a brain difference? So I kind of coined this term, and the reason I did this is that, um, you know, people tend to hear about diagnoses. That is the DSM-5. That is the diagnostic manual that psychiatrists and child psychiatrists use to talk about a collection of symptoms going on so that we have a way of, as clinicians, talking with one another or talking to your insurance company for reimbursement. But the diagnoses themselves are not really what your doctor is treating, right? It, they're, they're really treating symptoms. Mm -hmm. and, um, and these symptoms arise because of some difference in wiring in the brain. It's not so much structural like your you know, this part of your structure is bigger than this part. Mm. It's more, has more to do with the connectivity or the wiring between different areas. And what is becoming apparent um, and will be probably very apparent once uh, a large project going on called the Connectome Project, which was funded by the Obama administration's brain initiative, is that in looking at many, 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 quote, normal brains is that people have incredible differences hmm. between their brains, mm -hmm. even if they have no symptoms of note. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, male and female brains can be very different from each other, but even uh, in, amongst individuals, brains have a lot of difference between each other. So I sort of the idea that there is a normal brain and a quote abnormal brain is probably not a reasonable way to think of things. But in addition, if you are struggling with symptoms, it's probably going to turn out to be that there is some difference in wiring that is leading to those symptoms. But at the same time, whatever difference in connectivity is there also often comes with a very particular strength. And it may depend on what the symptom is, what the strength is, but what is being missed today, I think, um, for parents, is that if your child is presenting with something that is a struggle or a difference, or even let's say something that you perceive as a quirkiness, mm -hmm. um, most parents feel, first of all, oh my gosh, like this is, this is mm -hmm. the end. This is just mm -hmm. disastrous. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why often the years between uh, presentation of symptoms and actual diagnosis and treatment tends to be minimum of two years and sometimes as long as five years, which is a problem mm -hmm. uh, because that's enough time for a child to actually become derailed by their symptoms. Mm -hmm. But the reason isn't because, you know, parents don't love their children and want to do the best. It's because it's so painful right now. The yes, idea that is. there would be this, this problem that parents can't even allow themselves sometimes to see that. And they say, oh, it's just, you know, it's whatever, being a child, it's being a teenager. And they miss it. Um, and what I want parents to understand is, A, um, it's extremely common. You know, up to 50% of Americans at some point in their life will have a mental health diagnosis. So obviously, we're not talking about really weird aberrations. We're talking about something very common. And in addition, if their child does present with a symptom, that what you really want to do is, A, treat that symptom because you will put them back on their normal developmental track and you will save them a lot of suffering because in youth, as I'm sure you've talked about, the brain is very plastic, mm -hmm. meaning it's most it's at its most changeable time. It's 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 a time when when really new cells are being created and new wiring is being created all the time. And when you intervene with a treatment, you can really make a huge difference to the trajectory of that child and really save them a lot of suffering. But in addition, the difference in their wiring probably means they have a very particular strength, a very particular ability, maybe even the kind of ability that could set them on a path for huge success. I don't mean, you know, just garden variety success, mm -hmm. but I mean real ability that mm -hmm. may even teeter on the genius. And you want to spend some of the time with your child, not just helping them with what isn't working, but but playing to that area and exposing them to that area where they have the strength so they can hone that and groom that and really use that to their own self-esteem um, and their own abilities. I love that. And I, I want to get into talking about those strengths. But before we do, I just wanted to ask you something that you said, you know, struck me where you were talking about. Um, you know, that the, the that parents sometimes delay getting their child help or getting them diagnosed is part of that, not just our own um, looking at our child and, and trying to say, oh, maybe it's just quirkiness, maybe it's just him, 
May, is it also that other people can react so negatively t- at times to a diagnosis and we don't want our child to be looked at in a negative way in the educational system or among friends or family members? Is, that, is there something like that going on also? Well, of course, the answer is yes, um, in that um, right now, uh, those judgments and that stigma, it pervades everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're feeling that way and you're going to feel that way, whether it's about your own child or potentially somebody else's child. And to some degree, the reason I'm trying to raise this point is that um, so many of you are quietly, silently uh, judging mm-hmm. yourselves, mm-hmm. your own child, somebody else's child. If we could come together and acknowledge that the brain is an organ like any other organ, if something is going on with an organ, you would go to the doctor, you would seek treatment, you wouldn't say, wow, you must be morally a, a poor, a bad person right. or a, a bad parent because your child got diabetes. Right. Um, you know, we just wouldn't do it, but we do do it about this area. And if we could all be uh, more understanding, educated, um, and and uh, and helpful to one another on this score, obviously it would make a big difference. Now, sometimes parents do fear my child will be judged yes. by the yes. teacher or by this other parent. But and 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 I'm not saying that that's not possible. But what I am saying is sometimes when it's very, very loud in your head, that fear, Mm -hmm. it is yourself. Mm -hmm. And you are projecting onto others the terror of your own judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, That you have this feeling like, oh, this means my child will be less than. I'm struggling with the feeling my child will be less than. And I project it onto others that they will feel that way too. Um, We tend to be our own harshest critics. And... um, I'm not saying that it's not possible. You will run into judgmental people. You will run into ignorant people. Um, you will run into people who don't understand this material and, you know, will will think whatever they think. But I could only say that if it's very intense for you, it may be your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's hard to differentiate. Um, and But it is important to try to do battle with that in the service of your child mm-hmm. and, uh, and and yourself because right, right. it is very difficult to be with a symptomatic child all the time. Mm-hmm. It is painful. painful and yes. um, you can really, you know, I, all I can say is for children, especially treatment is useful and makes a huge difference. So you owe it to all of you to, to dip in. Right. I I couldn't agree with you more. And knowing that a child can go to school and be able to focus more or feel or feel less fearful in certain situations if they have anxiety or be able to deal with friends in a different way because they've been treated or helped in some way that could change the trajectory of their life. Um, And so getting treatment is important. I really want to talk about those strengths you talked about because you you mentioned in your book everything from dyslexia to anxiety to depression to ADHD. I mean, these are really common. And many people tend to exclusively focus on the problems that these disorders create, learning issues, uh, brain differences these create. But not, not, this is not what you do in this book. Can you talk a little bit about the strengths that you have found associated with these brain differences? 
Absolutely. So, you know, it does depend on what area we're talking about, but, you know, maybe uh, for the purposes of, of today, um, you know, I'll talk about common ones for children. Um, of course, attention deficit disorder is probably the, that and anxiety are probably the most common yes. for children. Um, and, uh, you know, again, diagnostically speaking, you have to reach a certain level of, uh, I mean, all kids are, yes, inattentive sometimes, especially when something doesn't interest them. Um, and uh, we have so many distractions for kids today that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that uh, to some degree we're training them to operate in a almost in a distracted way with, you know, look at your phone, look at your computer, look at your right. iPad, look at the video, look at, um, but. Uh, <laughs> You're when, describing adults too, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But what people should understand about ADD is it is not an inability to pay attention. It is an issue with the switch, essentially, the, the connection in what's called the default network that allows you to decide consciously when you're going to pay attention. So mm -hmm. um, that switch is sort of faulty, and so it's left to, if something is fascinating to the child yeah. um, and they're getting reward from being engaged with it, then they not only can pay attention, but they can hyper-focus. Yes. Um, kids with ADD particularly uh, can, can really focus for extended periods of time in depth. And that's why sometimes parents don't realize that what is going on is this attentional issue because they're like, but my kid, you know, if you give them this, they're, they're like in it forever. Mm -hmm. um, but at other times when maybe it's not interesting, but they want to be able to attend because they're in school, um, they just can't do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of willpower or not being lazy. They cannot do it. Mm -hmm. um, and there are other things that go along with that. Impulsiveness yes. um, is a common symptom. Um, and uh, for those that have the hyperactivity component, you know, the ants in the pants uh, mm -hmm. need to keep moving kind of uh activity, um, losing things a lot, uh, disorganization um, is a common symptom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but the data show that people, children and adults with ADD um, can exhibit exceptional originality mm -hmm. and exceptional creativity. And the reason for that is that in those periods of, um, let's say, the, the looser connection that sort of lets you uh, or makes it difficult for you to attend means that there are lots of periods of time where thoughts are just flowing in almost this I'll call it messy way you know just through the connections just lots of random thinking random ideas daydreaming etc and the reality is that daydreaming and messiness of thoughts if you will uh, produces a lot of highly original thought um, and very creative thought. And the question becomes, can you take those original and creative thoughts and then channel them ultimately into a plan or into an action? And that's where treating people with ADD is important mm -hmm. because, um, you know, you can have all of the cool thoughts in the world if you can't bring any to fruition because mm -hmm. you're disorganized um, and and uh, can't concentrate at any time, um, then you may not produce and use the incredible strength that you have. Mm -hmm. But a lot of kids with ADD, um, their impulsiveness does allow them to act on 
these out of the box thoughts in a way that somebody who is more cautious or more, you know, less risk taking, you know, uh, or less likely to act on something uh, would be. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, many CEOs of very interesting companies have ADD in a, a disproportionate number uh, because they are these sort of out of the box thinkers who do it. Mm-hmm. They are often high energy um, and, uh, they have an ability to spot connections and analogies that others often don't. So it is it is a common it is a common thing amongst kids who have ADD to have these disinhibited creative thoughts and see connections between their thoughts, which obviously ultimately can become a plan. So with anxiety, I mean, I think a lot of people would look at anxiety and say, well, what could possibly be right. a, a strength in that area when you're you're feeling fearful? So can right. you just tell us a few of, of those strengths so that we can learn about those? So it's all a matter, I mean, obviously these things are actually a matter of degree. I talk about a concept in the book called the U-shaped curve, okay. meaning that at one top of the U, where someone is very, let's say, ill or, you know, untreated um, and and having severe symptoms, you are not going to exhibit the most of your strength. And when someone is well, 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 meaning they never had any problem, you also don't exhibit the strength. The people who tend to be the most, let's say, you know, creative, original, talented, whatever the strength is we're talking about, are in that bottom part of the U-shaped curve. They have something going on, but they're not overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is the case very much so for anxiety, which is if you have an overwhelming anxiety disorder, um, you know, high, high levels of anxiety can flush out anything you might get out of it, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but at lower levels of anxiety, issue, things like an incredible diligence, incredible attention to detail, um, which obviously, if taken too far, can go to perfectionism, Mm -hmm. which can really immobilize you. Um, So, but at that lower level, this hypervigilance to both work, but also to um, things that are happening socially, Mm relationship-wise, anxious kids and adults are often incredibly uh, sensitive to others' emotional states and able to read what is going on better than others and make use of that. Um, So they may come across as very empathic and very in tune and very aware and able to sort of prevent, let's say, social disaster before it occurs Mm -hmm. because they're they're on it. Um, There's often, and you know, I call that like an emotional vigilance, if Mm -hmm. you will. Um, Seem intuitive in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And an ability to predict outcomes. Um, and again, we could be talking about work issues, we could be talking about social issues, but interestingly, high intelligence um, has often co-evolved with worry. So, you know, again, if your worry is about everything and anything all day long, not so good. Right. But general worry, um, which, you know, basically was the original person who said, hmm, maybe I won't go hunt for food now because I think I heard some wrestling out there in the bushes and it could be a bear and, you know, was thinking and and was using their fine mind to protect themselves Mm -hmm. and 
and and you know those are the origins of anxiety um, and you know treatment where you are not you know over the top is important but otherwise gaining of empathy insight uh, you know um, and as I said this ability to predict outcomes mm-hmm. can be very um, useful to the anxious person so you've heard of I mean of, of course we all have heard of performance anxiety yes and how athletes and test takers perform better when they have a certain amount of anxiety than they do yes. if they have none yes so you know it is having that it is sort of titrating the anxiety back enough so again I say to you if you are a parent of a child of let's of, of quite honestly the 25 or one in four children 25 percent one in four children oh, who mm-hmm. will have an anxiety disorder at right. some point I urge you to seek treatment for your child because even short-term treatments can make a huge difference so that they're not overwhelmed but if they do tend to be on that hyper vigilant side that's okay right. you want to help them play to that strength so how do parents know when they should seek some evaluation for their child or when it's just kind of normal social anxiety so again I would say the tipping point is when it really starts to interfere with functioning mm-hmm. so you know if if uh, if a child can't finish work because it can't be perfect enough mm. uh, if a child's grades start to drop because they're very distracted by worried thoughts if they are unable to go to another child's house, go to a sleepover because uh, they can't be separated, they can't, um, you know, socially they are so nervous. Mm -hmm. If you hear what ifs when you're with them all the time, you know, what if daddy has a heart attack, what Mm -hmm. if, you know, uh, even existential things kids will often uh, do in rapid fire if they Mm -hmm. are having high um, anxiety disorder time, so a, you know, you know, what if you die? What if mm, I get hit by a bus? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what What if the universe blows up? Uh, what if, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But it could be just day-to-day mundane things. But that what-ifing all the time is a, is a good clue. Not sometimes. Sometimes is normal. Um, but, but frequency mm-hmm. and functionality mm-hmm. are the clues that there's an issue going on. So, and, and obviously with ADHD or some of these other ones, it's, it's a similar thought that if somebody is, when you have so much interference with doing your schoolwork or so much interference with how you're relating to others, if uh, you're having trouble with impulsivity, that yes. that might be a time. All right. So, so when we're talking about these amazing strengths, I know what's probably in, in parents minds because I'm sitting here as a parent of a six and an eight-year-old can you tell us how we as parents can then cultivate some of the strengths you're talking about when they have been diagnosed or when we know that something that they are challenged in some of these unique Mm -hmm. ways Mm -hmm. so often when parents think about it I mean if they look at this list um, they go oh yeah you know I do see that in my child right Um, if they don't uh, I think it's very reasonable to have neuropsych testing done on your child um, if they're struggling with the diagnosis so that you can see on paper the areas that they have particular strengths in. Um, that can be helpful even if you see what's going on with them, but you wonder, you know, uh, is it is it, you know, do you want to help them move in a more verbal direction, in a more math direction? Mm-hmm. Um, neuropsych testing can really be helpful in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, 
exposing them to, to many things. So talking to them about what interests them, giving them a chance to be exposed to those things. That might be, you know, we go to this museum, we go to this show, we, uh, you'll try this dance class, you, you know, what, what do you feel like drawing? What do you feel like uh, using as a manipulative? What do you, give them a chance. And, and you know, unfortunately, I think we, many parents today forced by our current educational system and getting to college and so on think they have to find their child's, they have to help their child create their passion instantly. Yes, their thing, um, get their thing. You know, so like, what is the thing that is going to take my child, you know, to this place? Uh, you will be a fencer and you will like it. You will fence, fence, fence. Uh, but you know, sometimes, it, you know, you have to give your child some experimentation time, play time, open time to daydream, to think, to try different things out and to see what lights their fire. Certainly, once you hit upon something that does light your child's fire, give them some room for that. Go talk with their educators about ways that they can either utilize that thing mm -hmm. that lights their fire and or what is visible in neuropsych testing, the method of learning that works for them. So some kids are much more visual learners and some are much more auditory learners or some are really going to be amazing with uh, spatial relations mm -hmm. abilities and some are not um, and going to be amazing with some other ability and the point is that being able to communicate with your t kids teacher mm -hmm. about you know this project is coming up they've delineated and do it in this way mm -hmm. this this is not your child's forte um, could they, could you put your heads together and allow them to do the project in a way that plays to their strengths? Oh, I love that. Um, our system is quite rigid now. Yes, um, yes. And I think, you know, we, we as a nation need to be taking a look at that because it's really quite nonsensical if you think about how many kids have these said, different kinds of minds. Um, but, but as a parent, I think you can get in there and show them the data, as it were. Show mm -hmm. them... This is the, it's not that your child can't do, it's your child can do in these ways. Can they help you, you know, can your child do an extra project in this regard or morph this project in this particular way? How can, can educators partner with you to so that your child has a chance to shine, feel good about something and engage with the things that they are really going to be their strength? I also wanna say to parents, we have a tendency when our child has a weakness to drill that weakness into the ground. Yes, we do, and yes. I really want to say um, that, you know, and again, in my book, Make This Clear, uh, talking with all the experts, that's that's really not the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yes, you want treatment, mm -hmm. but you probably want to spend about 20% of the time on the treating, the getting the treatment, and the making, you know, accommodations to help your child to pull up their weakness, as it were. But you want to spend like 80% of your time on the strength. Mm. You want to spend more time giving them space in the day, creating space in the day for them to utilize what they can do and what they have affinity for. Because to some degree, what they're really not good at, while you want to help them, you will never be able to build it up to something that is going to be unreal for them because the brain basically bathes itself in dopamine, the neurotransmitter dopamine, when it likes something, when it feels good, when it's getting reward, uh, like 
I mean, that's how people get into trouble with gambling or with mm -hmm. drugs mm -hmm. because of dopamine release and it feels so good, they, they, it's hard to stop it. But when your child is engaged in something they really like and feel excited about, um, which I, probably many parents are hoping isn't just a video game, right. um, they do get a dopamine release and that provides the positive reward that makes it easier and more delightful for them to keep rehearsing and keep practicing, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. It can't just be 10,000 hours of something you hate. Right. And you're not good at it. It just actually doesn't work. People tend to spend their 10,000 hours on something that they are engaged with. So that principle of spending more time in the thing you're engaged in, you, you can build that up, really build that up. Um, and of course you want to, of course if your child has dyslexia, you must spend time mm -hmm. helping them develop workarounds so they can operate in a reading world. Of course if your child has anxiety, high anxiety, um, you want to spend some time getting treatment for and shoring up their ability to not be mired in the highest levels of anxiety. Mm -hmm. But you really want to spend time. Um, allowing them to get engaged in the things that work for them. So if your child is struggling in these areas, you just gave us some really lovely scripting of how to talk to a teacher about your child's gifts and your and differences and how you can put your minds together. But what do you do when your child starts to notice that there are some differences between him or herself and, her, and their friends and they are feeling frustrated by these differences? If the child is sitting in front of you and you know that they have these gifts but they're seeing their differences as weaknesses what could you say to your child that would help them to set them on the right path well, I think I think um, a lot of what I have been saying I would be really upfront with your child that um, yes you see that they you know let's say it's anxiety you know yes they struggle with anxiety it is not their fault it is not anybody's fault um, and uh, but but it is probably a difference in their makeup mm -hmm. um, that they have a tendency to be more anxious and that means that attending to whatever it is you know we're gonna see this therapist you know we're gonna do these things mm -hmm. to help you with that um, and it, it does help um, so we can help you to feel better in that regard but at the same time, but it, and it takes some work. And I would be honest with my child about that. I mean, I think, unfortunately, usually it's sort of like parents try not to name things. Right. And they try to um, say, oh, this will be like fun. <laughs> it won't be fun. Um, and that's okay. Like, it'll be some hard work. Mm -hmm. um, other kids have other things to contend with that might be hard. Um, you know, something going on in their family, something going mm -hmm. on in their mind. I mean, everybody has their thing to contend yes. with. This might be their thing to contend with. And they will have to put in the work and you will help them to be able to feel better. And at the same time, this there's something strong. They have an ability they, that, that, um, that you're going to help them root out and um, and they can really use and that is something that they're going to play to and you want to give them the space to to figure out how to use that you're going to try different things you're going to talk with their teacher about that um, and and let them see that there is an upside mm -hmm. to to dealing with uh, this difficulty not to diminish the downside because um, mm -hmm. it's real and it might mm -hmm. be something that they even have to you know uh, periodically in their lives 
come back to getting treatment for. Um, but you know, but that is the reality. Yeah, I, I think that's a great solution and understanding that everybody's working on something and that there can be this gift in in this issue that they're having. I know in your book you talk about this amazing doctor who um, was able to see uh, uh, how the uh, uh, diagnosis of Down syndrome um, yes. in utero because yes. she had dyslexia. I mean, I think like, yes. can't we use some of those stories to inspire so that's our why, kids? That, that is absolutely why I wrote the book in the way that I did. And I hope parents will take those stories back to their yeah. their children, depending on what's going on. So yes, I talk about in the anxiety chapter, I talk about, you know, David Sedaris and, you know, uh, others who have absolutely harnessed their anxiety to use it in the service of being highly successful. You're mentioning uh, Dr. Beryl Benesaraf, who is uh, a, a discoverer, discoverer of the method of diagnosing Down syndrome in utero, in fetuses, because she could see, because of the unique spatial relations ability that comes along often with dyslexia, um, she could see things on x-rays and ultrasounds that other people really cannot, amazing. literally cannot. Um, and it is amazing, mm. and it is due to this different wiring. And I think that um, actually uh, that, yes, using stories of people who have struggled with exactly the same thing going on with your child but have been, you know, wildly successful and able um, as a result of that is a very useful model. Children need models. And unfortunately, most people who have had issues have, have hid out because of stigma. Mm -hmm. And so there haven't been a lot of um, models to point to and say, but look, you know, um, they're struggling too. And, uh, and yet they have this ability and um, this could be a role model for you. It's such a good point. So at this point, let's do the top tip. What would you want parents to know if you could give them one tip or piece of advice to take away from this podcast? Oh, gosh, I, I don't know if I could do. I mean, I would say the important things are recognizing symptoms that are causing a problem and addressing with treatment, but recognizing and finding, helping your child find their particular strengths and giving them space to develop those strengths. Uh, those, those would be my, obviously, mm -hmm. those are my, because, you know, kids need to develop workarounds for the, that's what, I mean, you know, the, the name I'm, I would use to, to deal with difficulties. And by the way, you know, we all, even if they don't fall in one of these categories, we all have something that's a relative weakness. And we all should be looking for the ways that we manage around those and coping skills, a toolbox of coping skills to manage them. But, um, but in this case, there's the real potential for uh, unique strength and ability. And I, I hope that parents will help their child look for that um, and develop those. Let's give everybody the resource of the week. How can people find out more about you, your book? What would you like them to look up when they get off this podcast? Well, certainly um, the book is available, The Power of Different, uh, The Link Between Disorder and Genius. It's, you know, wherever Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, pretty much wherever books are sold. Um, but um, my website is uh, www.drgailsaltz.com. 
com. That's D-R-G-A-I-L-S-A-L-T-Z.com. And if they have a question, they could certainly tweet me um, at Dr. Gail Saltz. It's perfect. And I know that people will be extremely excited about what you've done. So many people concentrate on the problems and the issues that arise because of a diagnosis. And I think that you're really helping a lot of people by telling them their strengths here. Yes, we need to deal with the diagnoses and help our children, but there are strengths that we need to uncover. And, and these people may be the geniuses of the world that make a huge impact on uh, the next decades of our lives. Listen, if you look back at the, you know, the Van Goghs, the Hemingways, the Lincolns, the, you know, Einsteins, if you look back at the most iconic people you can think of, they really all had a mental health issue or a learning disability. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind when we think of who who the uh, geniuses of our future will be. Absolutely. Keep them in mind and make sure we tell our kids all about them. Absolutely. Dr. Gale, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about the power of different, the link between disorder and genius. You have provided really important information. I think that parents really can get frustrated and stressed out about all the negatives that they're hearing. Thank you for putting a positive spin on this as well. I like what you said about everybody having their thing to work on, but providing these kids with the space to help them develop their strengths. I'm all about strengths, and I really re- it just resonates with me, everything you've said. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I hope you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up onto Facebook and go to facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin, and you can tweet Gail, too. Oh, and if you love this podcast like I did, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate it and review it? so others can also learn all about it. I'd truly appreciate it. So that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when it seems like nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. You've got these amazing experts that are telling you some great things you can do. And on the days that we fall short, and you know we all have them, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I get it. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.